Hey folks, if you're being treated for anxiety and depression and you're still struggling, consider joining one of my DBT groups. Skills groups are a supportive, inclusive, cost-effective way to get the skills you need to create the life you want. Go to my website, rebeccashackney.com slash groups for more information. Talking about money is uncomfortable for so many of us, and this discomfort affects our relationships, our livelihoods, and our futures. As a therapist, I spend my days helping clients process their feelings about money. But as a person, the topic of money leaves me feeling anxious and uncomfortable. But like everyone else, I'm trying to do better. This is A Therapist Takes Her Own Advice. Today I'm speaking with Jalisha Gatling. She's a financial therapist and money mindset coach. She tackled her own maladaptive beliefs about money and turned her finances and her life around. Now she teaches others to do the same. Thank you so much for being here, Jalisha. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Excellent. So tell me about yourself. Um, Well, I am a licensed marriage family therapist uh, here in New York City. Um, I'm originally from North Carolina, been in New York for a little over a decade. Um, I work mostly with couples, do a lot of couples therapy, um, and uh, work with a few individuals as well, just around relationship dilemmas, um, premarital counseling. I do a lot of infidelity repair work. Um, as well, and um, have really ventured into doing a lot of financial infidelity work, um, which has also branched into me doing some money mindset coaching with therapists. Interesting. Um, Yes, that's kind of a quick summary, I think. Awesome. So what brought you to New York in the first place? Um, I'm from a really, really small town in North Carolina, and I've have dreamed of being in a big city and dreamed of coming to New York since I was a little girl. Um, And so as soon as I finished undergrad, I mean, I had plans to come to New York and I wasn't quite sure what I was going to (laughs) do. Honestly, I really just packed a bag. I saved up for a year and um, came up without a job and uh, figured it out. I was staying in a hotel when I first got here and um, I had a lot of creative endeavors I wanted to pursue. Um, I knew that I might eventually go back to school for therapy. I had my undergrad in psychology, but um, I really just wanted to explore and like uh, do some different things as far as like acting. And I was really into theater and improv and writing. And so I did a lot of that for the majority of my time here before um, deciding I was ready to uh, do the therapy thing like full on. Wow. And so how did you pivot from the arts um, and theater and improv into therapy? Um, I got to a point where I I had written and produced two plays um, that did really well for my first projects. Um, and uh, it was great. It was wonderful. But I was like bartending and I mean, just a struggling artist. And I realized that I was losing the the spark for creating when it was dependent on you have to sell this many seats or that it had to make a certain amount of money. Like it was taking the joy out of the creativity. And so um, I was like, I remember speaking with um, an acting 
teacher of mine who said, Jaleesha, if there's anything else that you love that lights you up, do that. <laughs> and she was like, not, not to say that you have to necessarily neglect your creative endeavors, but like to have that tied to having to make a career of it, having to survive off of it. Um, if there's anything else that you could do that with more easily, you know, go for that. And so that was when I decided, okay, I'm going to go back to school. I really, I'm like fascinated with relationships. If you look at any of the plays or sketches that I wrote, they were all around relationships. And I had a lot of therapy sketches when I really looked back. So I think it was always kind of in there in me. Um, and so, yeah, I went back to school and, um, and did that and loved the program. I mean, it was amazing. I went to Mercy College um, and I have slowly gotten back into some of my uh, acting and writing chops, which has been really cool. But it's it's like amazing to be able to be a part of projects and I'm not thinking about, okay, this has to sell or I have to get this picked up or what have you. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, it's been really great to like find that balance where I didn't have to choose. Excellent. I love that. And I think that is so important. It's really important to maintain your creative um vibe and to be able to to access that part of yourself. But it sounds like for you, um, tying it to your income was just not workable. Yeah. So. Yeah. Definitely took the the joy out of it and added just a different layer of stress. Um, and I just wasn't sustainable. I knew it wasn't going to be sustainable. I said, if this, if I'm still in this place in five years, like I will lose my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. No, it's really hard to earn a living in the creative arts in New York city. I mean, it's just really super hard. And I always tell people that as well. I actually have um, an undergraduate degree in theater. So Mm. I came here in a similar vein. I came to work in the theater and then pivoted to therapy as well. So, um, yeah. Um, So you chose to get a degree in marriage and family. So tell me about working with couples. That seems to be your passion. Yeah. um, I, I just I love working with couples. Because, I mean, and I think we probably could say this across the board as therapists, but um, it's just this, you're always learning. Like, the, and there's no uh, relationship rule that applies to all couples or all people. And I really, really love meeting couples and learning the different rules that they sort of have for relationships and the norms. And, you know, typically couples come in and they're like, well, is this normal or is this normal? Like, who's <laughs> right and who's wrong? And I just love helping them to sort of recreate and rewrite the rules that they've been ascribing to, especially the ones that just aren't working for them um, and really helping them to explore and identify the different rules and structures of society that inform how we uh, interact or engage our expectations of relationships. A lot of this stuff is not ours. Like they're, they're shoulds. And mm-hmm. so I, I love kind of listening for those shoulds and asking people, well, is that yours or is that your mom's or your neighbors or your coworkers? Like, or the Instagrams, like where, where did you get this from? And Mm -hmm. it's not working for you. So, you know, what would it look like to, to rewrite how that looks? Mm -hmm. Is this the narrative therapy that I was reading about? Yeah. Yeah. This is that. Yeah. I love, um, I really do work from more so a narrative modality, um, and just listening for the stories that we have about ourselves, about our relationships. Um, it really, it really has such a big impact on um, how we experience the world. Interesting, really interesting. So, what are the mm-hmm. common, some of the common themes that you see um, with couples that 
need to be um, reimagined? Um, uh, I'd say, I mean, a lot of family expectations, like when it comes to in-laws, when it comes to uh, when you're really um, uh, stepping that level of commitment up, whether that's moving in or, or getting married or life partnership, where couples are navigating rules from their family of origins into their new home. Um, you know, I work with a lot of intercultural, interracial, um, uh, different religions uh, that come up between couples and uh, they they haven't quite really dove into what their expectations are. And there's a lot of assumptions that people walk into um, under sort of the, you know, the the honeymoon phase of love and they're not <laughs> having those conversations. And if they are, they might attack it, but uh, it goes awry or it goes under the rug because it's too uncomfortable. Yes. So, you know, just helping couples who are at a crossroads when let's say they have a child and uh, an in-law is, is, has a certain way that they think they should be raised raising the child or they should go to private school or they shouldn't have a nanny or whatever it might be, you know, just these different rules that come in that the couple is taking from their family of origins instead of them pulling the reins on that together as Mm. a unit. Wow. And often people, um, therapists come to different places because they've gone through these things themselves. Is this something in your life that you came across or is this just your passion? Um, I mean, I'd say if we go on the thread of financial infidelity, which has been a more recent, um, I'd say niche of mine, I kind of, I I say I landed there accidentally because I didn't plan it. But I found (laughs) after I had one couple, I really enjoyed the work. And I became kind of obsessed with um, researching. And I was taking courses on money mindset and financial psychology. Um, And I'm planning on getting certified in financial psychology at the top of next year. Like I, I just was devouring any and everything around it and realizing that a lot of couples, they don't come in with, um, saying, Hey, we're fighting about money. They're usually not talking about it. And it's somehow related to, um, the, the issues that they may be having in one way or another. But if I'm talking about personally, um, how I think it sort of connects to me being drawn to that, you know, I had my own experience of financial infidelity, um, seven, eight years ago. Was it that long ago? Six, seven years ago? Um, It was er my early time in New York. And I didn't even realize that that's what it was until like three years ago, Rebecca. And then I was like, oh my God, no wonder I'm doing this work. (laughs) That's amazing. So you stepped into it, not really realizing, and then looked back at your own history and Mm -hmm. found this theme. That's amazing. Can you tell me a little bit about what happened? Yeah. um, I mean, I was in a relationship. We were living together um, for about five, six years. And um, towards the end of the relationship, I discovered, um, first, it was just small omissions. And I sort of uh, just minimized them. But it was around like paying the rent, um, saying that it was paid and it wasn't. Um, And uh, it just sort of evolved into a lot of things being hidden and there being a lot more debt than had been um, uh, expressed and um, just full on lies. I mean, it really grew um, and kind of, you know, really broke the relationship uh, Mm -hmm. trust. I mean, and it was really,
really devastating, but I didn't have the language for what it was. I, all I could say was, well, I was lied to and I can't trust you. But um, I mean, I think the other side of it is that I recognized years later, because up until recently, I looked at this as something that happened to me. Mm-hmm. And now I can look back and see how disempowered I was with money. I had a story about myself that I wasn't good with money and um, he was better at money. And so I let him handle things. We had a lot of things joined together and I trusted him more than I trusted myself to be able to learn it or figure it out. So, you know, I was a part of that dynamic and I put myself in a vulnerable position. Um, And I mean, I remember the end of the relationship and wanting to move out and I didn't have the money to move out. And that was the worst, most disempowering feeling ever. I had to reach out to my parents to help me to move out early. I mean, it was just like awful. And I just felt so helpless and I felt really ashamed. And when I work with couples or um, individuals who are navigating some sort of financial stress, financial PTSD or infidelity, there is so much shame. And um, it really kept me from reaching out for help. It kept me from uh, trying to attack my finances and like get it together. Like I wasn't good with managing money, but I had kind of owned that as my story. Mm -hmm. Like it's final. And, you know, I could see that sort of maybe being mirrored a little bit in my parents' relationship and, you know, men, they take care of X, Y, Z. And there was a lot of gender norms playing out. And so, a lot has been discovered and uncovered in recent years, which has been really amazing. Wow, that's fascinating. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious to know how have, has your story changed and how do you use what you've learned about yourself with your clients? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely say my story has changed from that experience being something that happened to me to it being something that happened for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I can literally say I'm so grateful to have had that experience, wow. um, even though it was really traumatic. I I honestly am so incredibly grateful for it because I needed that to happen to, to be able to see um, my inaction and my passivity and my head in the sand, you know? Um, and I was sort of forced, especially upon deciding I was going to open up my own practice. I was like, you got to get it together, girl. Like you, <laughs> you, you say that you want to be this businesswoman, and you have to, you don't even have your personal stuff in check. Like I would avoid the mail. I would like, I would literally let the mail pile up because it was so stressful to me to open up bills and not know if I had what I couldn't stick to a budget. Like I, and I, I wouldn't reach out for help. And I think that's like the big takeaway. It's like, you can learn anything that you don't know how to do. You know, you you can like gain those skills. You can get a coach, you can take courses. And I just began binging courses. And then when I would see, oh my gosh, I have enough or, oh, I have more than enough. And I know what's happening. I know what's coming in and out. I'm able to save for a vacation. I mean, it was really empowering and exciting. Like, oh, I actually got this. And I don't, I don't have to depend on anyone else to do it for me or to be better at money, which was just, I mean, amazing. That's really amazing. I mean, I'm impressed. I'm, you know, and I want to know how you did it. <laughs> I want to take um, those courses. I mean, so the fir- I'd say the very first thing that just kind of broke my world, like uh, wide open was, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Tiffany McLean. Have you heard of her? No. 
She is um, a money mindset like guru. Like basically, her whole thing is um, helping therapists to raise their fees, especially therapists who are struggling, who are broke, who are stressed, who are overworked. She has a course that's called Lean In Make Bank, where um, it was a five week course that I took. It was super intense, and it helps you to basically dredge up all of your money stories and beliefs while also having you do take action in your practice by having conversations with clients by, she has an amazing calculator. Um, if you go on her website, it's like a, a fun with fees calculator where you enter in all your information, your needs, your wants, your dream life. And then you put in your dream amount of um, clients and how many hours you want to work. Like you, she wants you to go big and you can kind of see like the reality, like so many therapists are struggling and are like their money is a hot mess. I mm-hmm. mean, to be frank yeah, and they're, you know, they're just constantly giving, giving, giving. And I think there's this story in the therapist community that we're here to help. Like we're not here to make money. And it's like, why can't we do both? Why can't I have financial security and help? And also that allows me to give even more. It really I can does. have more pro bono spots when I have the energy and the time to do so, you know? So she really like breaks through all these myths and it like rocked my world. Wow. And I think that you're so right. I know that for me, and I get, I, you know, my husband is often saying, you, you're not just here to help, you're here to also run a business. And, yes. you know, you need to charge what you're worth. And it is so hard sometimes, I think mm-hmm. not just for therapists, but for a lot of people. Um, but yeah. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was asked to to give therapy for free to a lot of the first responders. And while I really appreciate what first responders do for us and did during the pandemic, um, at the same time, I had so many clients who were being furloughed or fired from their jobs or their, you know, their jobs were just disappearing. And so Mm -hmm. I was already reducing my rate for a lot of people. And so it felt really uncomfortable for me uh, to give away uh, treatment for free to people who had jobs, yes. especially in that moment when so few people had jobs or um, steady income. And yet then I felt, you know, I felt embarrassed that I wasn't getting on the bandwagon and giving the free treatment to the first responders who I know really needed it. And then, you know, then I felt resentful and it was, you know, I had all of these different stories going on in my head. I had all of these different stories. You know, I I felt a little resentful that the people who had jobs were asking me to give away my treatment for free. And then I felt guilty because I should be helping the first responders, right? Um, So it was really hard. Oh my goodness. No, that there's so, I'm nodding my head emphatically um, (laughs) because uh, no, I I totally can relate and resonate. And I think that uh, it produces a lot of guilt for therapists. Um, Say you're already completely full, then you feel like, oh, I should do this. And I think this is like another should, right? And Mm -hmm. so we really need to like rewrite the rules, I think, in the therapist community as far as what, um, you know, what, what giving looks like. And I think what you said earlier, like we are running a business and we can really give more to our clients when we are fully fed. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, so I'm really curious. I had never heard the term financial trauma or financial PTSD until I spoke to you. So can you elaborate on what that looks like? Yeah. Um, so financial PTSD, it literally will, um, result in, well, let me start, I guess, 
with what might cause it. Um, it could be a financial um, uh, event such as loss of a job or just a significant loss of money in some way, shape, or form. It might be um, your parents. Maybe let's say your parents fought over money consistently and there was also domestic violence that accompanied those fights. Mm. Like that in itself could be trauma from your childhood that keeps you from wanting to talk about money or when your partner says, hey, let's sit down and do the budget. You literally are having physiological symptoms Mm -hmm. forecasting the worst. Um, so it can, you know, there definitely is a range, but I find it happens quite frequently with financial infidelity where some big secret or breach of, of trust has been made in the relationship where someone's maybe hiding money or has lied about how much debt they really have or hiding credit cards, um, that it, it will, especially when it happens more than once. Um, and this can be gambling. I mean, it can come in all kinds of forms, uh, that, that, clients really do have PTSD symptoms, like mm. literally. Wow. So I see this in affairs. I see this in, um, in uh, like drinking. I mean, all realms that the partners who have been hurt or where their trust has been, the trust has been broken, they are experiencing PTSD like symptoms. And so there may be a reminder where, um, uh, let's say a, a husband comes home late, uh, than he was supposed to. And like, let's say he had an affair a few months earlier that they're trying to move forward from her. If she can't get a hold of him, she may likely have PTSD like symptoms where he comes home and she is like, hit like completely just lost it from his eyes, but she is literally feeling threatened and like something has happened and she believes it despite all the evidence he might provide. And so it's very similar um, with like, if, if you look at the budget and something doesn't make sense, I mean, there can be those symptoms that come up similar to PTSD. Interesting. That's really interesting. So how do you work with couples around um, resolving that? Uh, I mean, really using a lot of um, techniques that you would use in working with uh, PTSD and other forms. Mm. I do a lot of body work. Um, uh, I send couples a lot and also guide them in sessions with different breathing exercises, box breathing, because it's so physiological. You have to attack it from that point first. We can't have a conversation when you're experiencing those symptoms. So I work with clients to one, um, start to identify what shows up in their body. Sometimes it'll happen in session, which is a beautiful opportunity for me to dive in. Even in video now, I mean, it's it's still really, really helpful for them to experience that or to be triggered in the moment in a session by me, maybe by something that their spouse or partner said. And for me to say, like, let's tap into your body. Like, let's stop the talking and the going back and forth. And what's happening in your body? Is it hot? Is your chest heavy? Um, You know, like really tapping into where they hold the trauma when it comes up. And them being attuned to that more and more will help them to then go and tap into some of these coping mechanisms to de-escalate what's happening in their body. And then the couple could have a conversation, you know, using some of the communication techniques that we have been learning in session. But really starting with the physical is it's absolutely necessary. And so I do a lot more work in that area prior to being able to have these conversations and gain that insight. Interesting. Wow. Um, so it really is like having trauma in your body, like any other type of trauma. Wow. I've never, that's fascinating. And it's something that they don't teach that in social work school. Mm. So, um, and I think it sounds like it's really common when you 
um, interact with most any couple who's struggling or maybe any couple at all. Yeah, no, it really is. I mean, and it's, it mirrors, like when those symptoms come up, it mirrors what you felt in your body when you discovered that text message, what you felt in your body when you opened that bill and you were like, what, you know, what, when you discovered, oh my gosh, my partner has uh, lied to me or been unfaithful. That's what's coming up Mm -hmm. when the, in these moments, you know? Right, right. So it just triggers any kind of trauma. It's, it's, yeah, wow. And I'm wondering what how your practice has changed now or what you're seeing with couples now that so many people are mm. losing jobs and really struggling financially. Yeah, um I there has been an increase definitely. I mean, my I've never been busier, I'll say that. Like and I think People have the story, the dominant story that everyone is struggling and that, you know, we're going through this economic crisis. And um, I'm finding that people are there. It seems like the bulk of their stress, at least the clients that are coming to me, are around um, just managing being in this confined space with one another. Mm -hmm. They're not really leading with stress around money. Um, it can be a stressor, but it, it, that's not what they're leading with surprisingly, which is what I was kind of expecting when everything started to happen. And I was expecting my practice to drop as well. And I was like preparing to dip into savings and that hasn't happened. Um, and so a lot of what people are bringing to me in this time is, um, stress and trauma from, I mean, what's happening in the world politically, the racial climate, Mm -hmm. um, that's been super heavy, um, coming in with clients, um, and just managing with all of that and COVID all in a, an apartment, like a tiny apartment for most people in, in New York city. Um, and like managing working from home and, or not working from home and like going bonkers because they're bored along with kids, along with, ch- you know, childcare, like it's a lot. And so it's just compounding tiny fractures that maybe were already in the relationship and, and making them, you know, kind of unbearable. Wow. Wow. So if somebody is really struggling right now, what do you say to them? You know, couples out there right now who are like, I just need something. What is your best tip or what are some best tips to just manage right now in this moment? Uh, I would say if they can... um... I'm finding a lot of people tend to lead with all the things that they can't do. Mm -hmm. And uh, really asking yourself and reflecting on what can you do? So maybe you can't go to your favorite workout class because it's not open right now, but like, what's a middle ground? Like Mm -hmm. whether that be doing something online, whether that be maybe zooming with friends and you guys do a yoga together, um, uh, or it's, you know, you going outside and finding a space uh, that's socially distant um, and and stretching. Like what could be just a, an inch into what you are missing? Because I think a lot of focusing on what you don't want, I mean, or what you're not able to do or get right now, um, it really works against you and it, it really raises the, the stress levels um, quite, quite much. So I really spend a lot of time really pivoting clients, um, mm-hmm. attention to what can they do right now and brainstorming, like getting creative. It's so important, especially with the limited, um, places that we can go. We, we lean on so many things externally, I think for entertainment and, um, we really got to tap into creativity right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, and I find myself saying the same types of things to clients because, 
you know, if you lead with what's not going to happen, then you're not going to go anywhere good. So finding something positive and finding um, the possibilities. And there are possibilities right now. Yeah. No. Yep. Exactly. And I think like just getting away from what the ideal is, like Mm. kind of releasing that for a little bit of time. So maybe you can't go to your soul cycle class. You know (laughs) what you could start doing? You could, you could walk around the block for 10 minutes. You know, Mm -hmm. I know some people have gotten completely out of their workout routine and they're like, I don't even know how to start back. And I mean, I can totally relate to that falling off and it's like starting back is like the worst. (laughs) And so I had that myself and I started literally doing 10 10 minute yoga. I was like, that's totally doable and realistic and attainable. So just like lower it and you can incrementally increase that, you know, to whatever it can look like. But I think give yourself a break and start small. Don't schedule like an hour of of intense cardio if you haven't worked (laughs) out in two months. Like that's crazy. (laughs) So true. So very true. Yes. No, we just, um, in planning for the winter, bought a uh, an elliptical because I was worried that I wasn't going to be able to go to the gym. So, I, I mm. yeah. And before everybody else buys it, realizes that this might happen and buys the elliptical too. So, anyway. Okay. Um, <laughs> That's a great point, though, in terms of, like, thinking ahead, though. Mm-hmm. You know, looking forward and um, especially with the winter coming up, like, prepping yourself for us likely having to be in more than now once the weather gets colder. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to buy some really warm clothes for the winter. So, um, so we can still go outside. So I'm wondering how has your financial, um, life changed or your financial, um, story changed? Yeah. Um, it's changed. Uh, I think I said this word like a million times earlier, but just like feeling really empowered mm-hmm. and certain. And, um, even as I've sort of up leveled, like, you know, from my baseline goals were just to like survive and pay the bills. And I feel like between Tiffany's course and all the different, um, uh, literature that I've been consuming, it's up leveled to, um, uh, like a buffer and like getting really serious about saving and retirement and all these things that used to be so overwhelming to me mm-hmm. that I would just like avoid them. Even when I'm like, okay, I don't even know where to begin. Like my whole thing now is investments. And I just took this investments course and I'm about to like go all in on that. But like just saying, okay, I have no clue where to start and that's okay. I will learn because of, you know, a year ago, I didn't know anything about retirement or about X, Y, Z. So just like carrying that theme forward, um, has been so helpful. And I just feel, um, capable of learning and I'm, I'm more than willing also to invest in courses and in people or coaches to help me get to where I want to go. I think that's been a huge thing, like the willingness to invest in myself and not looking at, uh, courses or coaches as, uh, an expense. I used to look at it as an expense and now it's like, no, this is an investment. And it's well worth it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with the Tiffany McLean workshop, that gave you um, empowerment. And then you've continued to, to grow your money mindset, so to speak. Um, yeah. So what are some little things? You mentioned with, with working out, start small. Um, don't jump into an hour. So what are some little financial things that people can start to do? Ooh, Um I mean, I would say let's start passive, you know, Mm -hmm. like with a book, 
Um, I would recommend, um, if you haven't read Jen Sincero's, uh, you are a badass at making money. Um, like the, I've read that like probably five times. Um, you know, I, I think reading something like that will just like jumpstart and excite you. It's not dry. It's not boring. It's funny, but she really like tells it like it is. And, um, I think it's really inspiring hearing her story of where she was to where she is now. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, I think starting with just reading literature that speaks to you, following um, any money mindset mentors, like just kind of surrounding yourself with that positive money mindset with people that actually are and have done it. Um, it's just beyond inspiring. And I think it is a constant reminder that you, um, that of what is possible, you know, I mean, I've, I consume podcasts, like this is, this was all a part of my journey, um, listening to podcasts, reading books, just consuming things. And I think, um, especially if you happen to be surrounded by people who maybe have more of a negative money mindset or what I call a poverty money mindset where, you know, there's not enough and that's constantly what they're talking about. It's hard to shift into this work. And I, you know, found myself in that predicament. So I had to kind of seek out um, other people. And so, like I said, I think starting passively, if you're feeling a little nervous or shy to reach out to people, start out by reading and consuming material um, and then shift into like sending an email. Maybe it's reaching out to a coach. Maybe it's uh, connecting with a, another person um, who's doing the thing in your field. If you happen to maybe be in business, those are things that I did to help me um, I had to find like-minded um, therapists who had a positive money mindset because I didn't have any around me. Mm-hmm. And if I had only went to them to talk about these things, I would not be where I am today. Wow. Wow. So community, I guess. Community would be the yeah, short Yeah, no, I think that's so, so important. And I'll tell you, I think community is absolutely important at just uplifting you and challenging you and all of that. One of the struggles that I have that I've noticed, I go online and I see everybody and their mother is calling themselves an expert or a coach. Mm. How do you dig through that and find the people who are really, you know, good at money management? I, that's such a great question. Oh my goodness. Um, I personally, I, I, I listen to a feeling in my body. I don't know how to describe it, Rebecca, but um, every person that I've taken a class from or coaching from, I have felt so like personally, I felt like they were real. I devoured, like devoured their newsletters. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, you know, we all don't want our, our email boxes, you know, filled with a bunch of junk that we're not looking at. But I will tell you, everyone that I am subscribed to, I read their stuff every week and it gives me so much joy and energy. So like I, I've devoured Tiffany's um, email list probably for a year and a half before I reached out to her. I are, you know, so like, I think if you listen to something and you are like, you are inclined to, oh my gosh, I got to go on her website. Oh my gosh, I have to go and check out if she's written any books. There's something there. You connect with that person in some way. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everyone won't do it for everybody, but I connected to Tiffany as a woman of color, as a young therapist, because I had issues around thinking, well, you have to pay your dues and you can't charge that much until you're way older. (laughs) And like (laughs) Tiffany had broken all those myths for me. And I was like, I want to do that too, Mm -hmm. you know? So I think seeking out people who sort of break the stories that are holding you back. And that's not going to look the same for everybody, right. you know? Yeah, no, I definitely hear what you're saying. People who can, you connect with. And I have to tell you, when I was 
doing research to do this interview, I looked through every piece of your website and I wanted to read everything you oh, wrote. Oh, really? <laughs> so you have that, or at least you have that for me. So oh. I'm sure that um, I can see why you're you're so successful in what you do. Um, so tell me, I, I heard you're writing a book. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, um, I'm writing a book. It's essentially a funny, out-of-the-box self-care book for helpers. Um, uh, I'm calling it the closet rec therapist. Um, (laughs) And so, I mean, it really mirrors like how I felt about myself just a couple of years ago, where I was you know, showing up, seeing a million clients stressed out and behind closed doors, I was just like having meltdowns. I mean, I was skipping meals. I was, I just felt that I was like, this isn't balance. Like I, even once I almost had like a full caseload and I'm saying that with quotations, um, it just like, it wasn't working for me and I didn't know why. So I I think just like a lack of self-care and neglect because I was like, well, I need to give and not just like giving to clients and overextending my schedule. I was overly flexible where I would bend over backwards to reschedule somebody, even though I said, I'm not going to work past this time. I would do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Then I would feel resentful. I was, you know, overgiving with family, not saying no to outings or friends, like just uh, yeah, I, I really used to call myself like a hot mess helper. <laughs> That's what I used to call myself. Oh my but I was in the closet and I wasn't talking to anyone about it. And I felt like I was the only one. And I think I had like this superhuman bar that I thought as a therapist, I should be reaching. And so I really had little compassion for myself. And I felt like I didn't even have the right to um, feel any sort of depression or anxiety because I'm doing what I want to do, but you know, I wasn't showing up for myself. Wow. Wow. And you know what? I think that your story is so common. I know for myself. I mean, I literally had to think to myself, I I am jealous of this client who is doing the things I'm oh. telling them and they're improving and do and they're <laughs> and I was like it occurred to me, I need to take my own advice. Not that I'm brilliant or anything, but I at least need to do the basic things that I keep telling people to do. Exactly. We need to take care of ourselves. I mean, and even if, if you just can say to yourself, I can't be my best self, I can't be my best therapist or mom or partner or friend mm-hmm. if I don't take care of myself, even if you can't bring yourself to take care of yourself for, for you, yes. do it for the people you want to help. Totally. But do it for you. But do it for you. You know. Um, So tell me about your self-care routine then. Uh, So my self-care routine, I've really gotten into yoga. Um, That's been a big thing. I was already getting into it probably like last fall, but since COVID, it's really increased um, a lot. So I do a lot of um, Adrian yoga with Adrian. I'm sure people, if any, any yogis out there probably are familiar with her. She's awesome on YouTube Um, and a painting like painting has been my new pandemic hobby. I'll say Um, It's something I've been wanting to do forever and I've been talking about doing. And then when March hit, I was like, that's it. I'm getting it. I'm getting these materials. And so (laughs) I've been painting and um, that's been really cathartic. Like I noticed when I start my day with painting, the day is just like, whoo, if I have any anxiety or I'm thinking about all the things I have to do, there's something about painting that I literally feel like, okay, you know what? This day is going to be fine. Whatever I get done, I get done. I feel like I just kind of 
take pressure off of myself. And so I'm really trying to do that more regularly. I'm doing it a couple times a week, but yeah, I find the the tone that I start the day on, it just is a game changer. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I really love that. I mean, I think that we should all do something that makes us feel good like that, whether it's yeah. yoga or painting or baking or the elliptical. I don't know. Whatever you <laughs> could do. Be reading. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't have to be a big, and I tell my clients this, it doesn't have to be a big performance, right? But I really do believe, and maybe this is just a me thing, but it's, there's something about what the first thing I do, like I, do, I no longer can do, okay, I'm going to do yoga at 12 after, you know, my first session or after, you know, I can't, that just doesn't work for me in the middle of the day. I got to start with something for me, even if it's 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Not work-related at all. I love that. My my um, pandemic activity has been, well, I've been doing this podcast, but I also um, have been watching Hamilton and listening to the oh. recording. Um, <laughs> and I just, that gives me so much joy. I just love the show. Anyway. I love it. it I love it. <laughs> I never got tickets. So it's now on, on TV and I can see it. It's awesome. <laughs> anyway. So, so what's next for you? Where do you go from here? Well, so I have been, um, I actually am coaching, um, in Tiffany's course right now. Wow. Um, so I've been doing some online coaching in her course, which has been awesome and amazing. Like I love, love connecting with therapists who are where I was a couple years ago. Like I just, I love it so much. It's been super fulfilling. So I've been doing a little bit of that. Um, I've been coaching in another course called money nuts and bolts. Too, um, which is really more so about um, for therapists to get organized with their systems in, in their practice and really like streamlining your business so that you are working, um, uh, what is it, in it and not on it? Is that how they say it, Rebecca? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, and so I'm, I'm like slowly kind of inching out of, uh, private practice. Like I've definitely, I, my goal is to get down to, I think eight clients mm. because between making time for the book coaching, um, I'm also working on a course. I'm kind of doing a lot <laughs> now that I'm saying it out loud, <laughs> but that's okay. Just make sure you're taking time for yourself. So yeah. if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, what could they do? Um, well, if we're talking clients, they could go to my website at um, letsunpacktherapy.com and shoot me a message from there. You can also find me on Instagram at letsunpacktherapy. Um, if there happens to be a therapist that um, wants to connect, um, they could reach me at closetrectherapist on Instagram or savingthesaver.com. <laughs> so- excellent. Excellent. And I will put all of those contacts in my show notes so that people can uh, don't have to run for a pen right now. Yeah, I know that was a lot. (laughs) No, that's great. I think it's great to have multiple ways to get in contact. So um, excellent. So before we end, what is um, one silver lining you've found from all of this pandemic stuff? Hmm. I would say, um, don't wait. Mm -hmm. Like, don't wait. Um, 
I, I, I feel like this pandemic has highlighted what's really valuable to me, like what really, really matters. Um, you know, I, uh, yeah, I would just say, don't wait. I think it's kind of like, what, if not now, when, especially having, I've hit so many markers that I could not have fathomed in the midst of everything. And so just, um, yeah, you, you gotta like do it now. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know how reach out, reach out to somebody who, who knows how, or who has done it, that, that would be the silver lining. Excellent. I love that. I really do. And so the first person you would call is either you or maybe Tiffany McLean. Yeah. If you are a therapist and any of what, what me and you have talked about today resonates with you for sure. Um, I definitely would, would recommend that. Um, yeah, and maybe I can give you even a link to uh, Tiffany's course if people aren't familiar that they can click on and check it out. She's got some great content. Excellent. Thank you so much, Jalisha. Thank you, Rebecca. So much fun chatting with you. And thank you for listening to A Therapist Takes Her Own Advice. Remember, the information shared here today is not a replacement for treatment with a licensed professional. If you've connected with what you've heard here and want to work with me, go to my website, RebeccaShackney.com, and send me a message through my contact page. And please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 